Thank you for pulling into the Hope Station. I am your host, Diane Bells. The Hope Station is a place to hear amazing interviews, great transformational stories, and learn about the power of faith and hope to change your life. A podcast that proves living purposefully is possible. Are you ready for your own transformational story? Do you want to turn a new chapter in your life or career? There's hope. Schedule a free consult call with me to stop feeling hopeless and gain the hope you need to have the life you deserve. Information of how to schedule that appointment is in the show notes. You can also connect with me through my website, Diane Bells, uh, D-I-A-N-E-B-E-L-Z.com. Are you ready for another great interview? You know, but that's just realistic conversation. Like, it doesn't just happen overnight. I put myself on social media and everybody just blown away. Like, no, it takes time. And if you have a two-year-old daughter and a, and, and a young lady that you have with you, they can't eat your dreams. That's why I took my $8 an hour job, was turned to a $14 an hour job, and I was taking photos on the side at that same time. It wasn't until I knew beyond knowing that I had enough work <laughs> to sustain a family that I said, okay, I'm out of here. Hello, and welcome to the Hope Station podcast. I am your host, Diane Bells, and today I have Jay Helene as my guest, and Jay is an author, a business coach, and a speaker, and he has a great story of turning his life around from being a felon making $8 an hour to now earning over six figures. So, Jay, I'm glad to hear your story, and Sounds we have something in common. We're both Jersey people. <laughs> you're you're the north in Newark, and I am in the south. I was born in Camden. So yeah. just let's start with where you were and then how you got to where you are now. It's been a, uh, a, I've been on earth a little bit of time, but in that little bit of time, it's been a long odyssey. You okay. Know? So again, growing up in North, you grew up in Camden, you heard the stories of what was going on a little north of you. Um, right. I, I was North. And um, that New Jersey Drive thing, everybody loved that movie. You know, we actually really lived that and grew up in that. But, you know, we were affected by the, the crack epidemic like everybody else. Um, a lot of people. So, you know, growing up with a bunch of people in my household, my grandmother had eight children, seven of them were strung out on drugs. One was my mom. Wow. And so um, she was, she had like 20 grandchildren, more than 20 grandchildren, but 10 of us, she got full custody of to take care of me being the first. So it wasn't a lot of money to go around. It wasn't really a way to take care of us. It was just, Hey, you got a place to stay. You got some food in your belly. You got to figure out the rest. And so me, I went out and um, did the, I guess at that time, it seemed like the next best thing. Don't use drugs, sell them. And so um, I was always a good kid. I went to school. I was never thinking about dropping out or nothing like that. It was just what I did for money outside of school. So I was just playing that duality. And, um, you know, I got in some trouble in school. And, um, you know, school always got me out of trouble, too. Because <laughs> I'm facing time in prison. Oh, he's about to go to college. All right, fine. You know, slap him on the wrist, send him to college. But I go to college and become a felon. Graduate college, but can't get a job because I'm a felon. Right. And so I go into entrepreneurship. It wasn't as um, you know plentiful like it is now. Everybody wants to be their own boss. Everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. 
we were the crazy people 20 plus years ago <laughs> trying to step right. out and be an entrepreneur. You know, it wasn't like that. So it wasn't the, you know, we didn't have all the, the um people on YouTube. It wasn't no YouTube, you know, to say, hey, this is how you right. find out. It's, you just had to just figure it out and try to, you know, get to know people, network the old school way. And so that was rough in itself, you know, being the first entrepreneur in my family, first person to go to college, first person to do anything. But I didn't have anybody to lean on. So going through that, there was a lot of ups and downs. I um I got became a felon in South Carolina where I went to school at, moved back up north to the DC area. So it kind of was a little better. And I'm running a business now, but you know, I'm married, my wife working on Capitol Hill, but she loses her job right in the Obama era. And um you know, we had to go back to South Carolina because we have kids now. It's a little bit, a lot, it's a lot cheaper in South Carolina than it was in D.C. Oh, but absolutely. I'm a felon and I became a felon in South Carolina. So now I'm faced with having to really live and deal with this head on. And so that put me into the situation. Hey, I got to take this eight dollar an hour job. This notice is on the door. <laughs> you know, you got um, cars being repossessed, all that type of stuff. So got to figure it out. And so I went and took an $8 an hour job. Um, I decided I wanted to be a photographer, but of course that didn't make me money immediately. So I'm working this job, trying to take photos and doing whatever else I can do le legitimately to make money. But um, a year in, I, I, I went to a conference, um, a TD Jakes conference with my church. And that's when he was writing that book instinct that he has. And he was just saying that somebody in here understands that they're living beyond um, below their means and, and and below their beneath their potential. And everybody who came with me told me, and I was crying and said that he's talking to you. <laughs> and so at that point, it, it wasn't even 60 days later, you know, um, I left my job, got a studio and never went back. Haven't been back since, you know, a year and a half later, I was a six figure earner. Then it went from me just working as a photographer to creating a media company where I brought on other individuals then I became a consultant and now I'm a, you know, serial entrepreneur <laughs> with okay. most companies. And, you know, I, I train entrepreneurs. I train, train, I'm a certified trainer. I train trainers. I'm a certified coach. And just more so the biggest thing I became an author, that was my freedom from a lot of these, you know, trials and tribulations that I went through because we didn't do a lot of the therapy piece. And so becoming an author became therapy, the, my therapy. So having a lot to talk about, having a lot to say, I put it in the book. So it ended up being okay. four, you know, so. for four books. Well, let's let's go back a little bit to, to the beginning. So uh, there's always a beginning to the story and there has to be some pivotal turning point. So you're in this house with your grandmother, with 10 other kids. You're number one. Why did you decide that you weren't going to take drugs? What what was the decision point to saying that's not the life I'm going to lead? It just wasn't cool back in the day. Like now, if you listen to rap music now, they talk about using drugs. The music we listened to back in the day wasn't talking about that. That wasn't a cool thing. And then we had the Nancy Reagan's of the world, the Barbara Bush's just say no, and you know, all those campaigns, and it was a big deal. Um, I, I speak in schools now, and it's so funny. I tell them, I say in North, well, um, People came there to tell us about not using drugs and not to steal cars. <laughs> that was it. There was no motivational speakers like myself to go in and talk about what you could do with your career and people creating programs to, you know, kind of guide kids to a certain space. No, it was like, don't steal cars, don't use drugs. And it was, 
like literally scared straight right. because there was videos of like teenagers in twisted metal because they took a car and it was joyriding and crashed and died. So it was a lot of that type of crap that we had to well, see. Negative stuff and nothing really positive speaking into you, but you chose still not to take drugs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never thought that. I, that wasn't a good thing to do. I mean, just watching how it was, I mean, it wasn't just my house, you know, um, in the whole neighborhood. You've seen friends and family members always had the family members stealing from people and stealing out of their house and all that. I mean, it just wasn't a good look at all. So, you know, you know, it's not something I would okay. want a kid to grow up around. So then you you said you were school helped you and then it hurt you. So what happened in South Carolina that sort of was the tipping point that you did? Were you selling drugs, as you said at the time? Yeah, well, what happened, well, South Carolina was hungry, you know, so like, okay, so you go, you leave, go 12 hours away to school, and you have no support. And so you apply to trade, you know, because when I, I remember I was 14 years old, you know, I went outside to start messing around. I ended up, I got shot like immediately the first summer I got shot, been through a whole bunch of stuff. I tried to get a job at the car wash. I did, but it was owned by the local drug dealer who was like super successful. So that's all I'm seeing is the other rest of the drug dealers in the community coming through with their nice cars, their Mercedes, their this. You know, I'm working the dog fights on the weekends where they're, you know, thousands of dollars are going through. I'm not seeing nobody going to work to a nine to five. This is what I'm seeing. And right. so I say, OK, forget this car wash. Let me go and do this. And um, school never hurt me. It actually helped me. It was just one of those things that like I wanted right. to go to school, but. And I played basketball, but in the summer, I wasn't in summer camps because I'm I'm selling drugs. You know, I didn't go away to other camps at AAU. I'm, hey, school is out. I got to make my money. After school, I'm going to make my money. So it was just that type of thing. I took it like a job. Once I went away to college, I, still, I saw other things, but it still takes time for you to, you know, switch out those, those learned behaviors. And right. in that process, you kind of, I'm hungry. I don't have a place to live. Um, I'm an independent student because then I didn't have anybody to send me like any money or um, to say, hey, I'm coming underneath my parents. My parents were non-existent at the time. So um, I'm an independent student. I needed a job. I knew how to sell drugs and 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 be a criminal. I didn't know how to go to work for anybody. Right. So, you know, I got in. I started getting in trouble down here, just like I was getting in trouble at home. And um, it caught up to me. You know, it was no okay. more snap a risk because as I, I caught my first adult charge in Jersey. So it's no more, okay, first time offender stuff anymore. So, you know, it's like now you got to get treated the way you need to get treated. Well, you can just see that you were, you were surviving. Yes, and that when you're, you're not given any other options, you, you were told not to take drugs, which is interesting and not to steal cars, but no one told you not to sell drugs. They weren't giving you any other kind of skill sets or any other hope that there might be a different path. And that sounds like what you're trying to do right now, Jay, is to give- That's Exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> okay, some hope. So let's say you, you became a felon. You were, and the, 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 the doors to having any kind of nine to five or career were, were, were locked, sealed shut for you. You couldn't get in. Yeah, definitely Any, any well-paying job. Exactly, definitely something that warranted my degree because I graduated on the Dean's List. But I still couldn't What's get a job. What's your degree in? Business. <laughs> oh my gosh! Now, now, see that—that's the crazy part. Where you you pay for a degree, but because you exactly at that decision, <laughs> and that's where uh, 
I remember a former client of mine, because I was doing teaching classes in Camden, in the city of Camden. And he, you know, told his whole story, very similar to yours, of saying that the options are so limited. And he went and said his mother was a crack addict. And what he had to do is he started being a runner at the age of like 10 mm. so he could feed his siblings. So yeah. it's just like when there, there's not these options and we're wondering like, oh, I would never commit a crime. It's according to how hungry you become, right? The people who were doing well in my neighborhood were selling drugs. I didn't have doctors, lawyers, or people that had decent jobs in my neighborhood. So their way of protecting me and the people in the street protect you by giving you streets. Like they, it wasn't saying, hey, I'm going to pay your, I think that's on the movies. They say, oh, I'm paying for this kid to do this. No, they'll say, you know what? You want new shoes? You want this? Here's these drugs. You know, you can make the money yourself. And that's how that was. Okay, you go ahead and make the money. And that's that. So you get caught, you get caught. It well, they were teaching you entrepreneurial skills. They just exactly. It, they, they, they definitely <laughs> did that, you know, um, tremendously. So you had so, a again, once, yeah, once I got to South Carolina, I started seeing, you know, I'm in college now, so I'm seeing people from other walks of life. They have parents that's coming to the financial aid line with them. They can call their parents when they're broke, you know, somebody sent an envelope. You know, this is before all of the, um, you know, uh, cash apps and stuff like that. You know, Right. They will definitely Western Union or, or MoneyGram them you know, or put something in their bank account, the ones who were really savvy like that. But right. for the most part, I, and it wasn't just me. I mean, it was a bunch of us who came from New Jersey that went down there. And I remember us, you know, figuring it out, you know, like um, tipping the, the vending machines to get food out, you know, telling you that you can only can take a certain amount of food. I mean, you can't take the food out of the cafeteria. And we're like, yeah, we are because we're 18 years old. You're not going to sleep at seven o'clock. You know, we're hungry. Last food is at six o'clock. You know, <laughs> you're like, hungry uh, all day. <laughs> exactly. So I'm 18. We're like, okay, you know what? We're going to hey, hold the door open. We're going out of here with plates, you know, to take it to our room because we're going to eat. And we find somebody who has a microwave and warm your food up later. And it was a lot going on, you know. And that's what people don't tell you when you're not prepared for college. You know, you're going to college away mm -hmm. from home. It's not just the academic portion of it. You know, you're actually trying to learn, figure out how to live and being 12 hours away from home. That was tough. Yeah, it's like we're, we're, we're selling you this whole dream that if you get a college degree, it's going to lead to success. But then did they know that at that time you had a felony charge against you? No, um, I got it while I was in college. So it, oh, I was okay. good with the school. But um, and again, I, I didn't. You know, I, I just didn't say anything. It was stuff that I did outside of school. I was there in school, but I didn't get like it wasn't something I did at the school that got me in trouble. I just was a student at the time. Yeah. Well, it's kudos to you that you found your way out. And I, I extra kudos because you want to help make sure that other children do you have a, a pot or like you said, you're going into teens and talking to them. So what was the, the tipping point for you? Why of all the things you could have picked to do, why did you decide I'm going to pick up a camera and I'm going to become a photographer? Oh, that's, that's an amazing question. So I hated it, right? I hated photography. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I was doing very well when it was in DC. You know, I had a cleaning business. That's what I started. As soon as I got out of college, I started a commercial cleaning business. Well, I started with residential first, but I started the commercial side when I went to DC I was doing well. So my little side money, I was in the music industry trying to be a music manager. 
And I bought a camera when my daughter was born. I was taking pictures of her, filming her. But then also I would film my artists like when they had like a performance or in the studio, stuff like that. Never wanted to take pictures of nobody for no for money. People even asked me that. But once I got to back to South Carolina and I'm down on my luck, I have a $2,000 camera and I go to sell it to, to my pastor at my church. Well, I tried to sell it on eBay. And I told him what I was doing. He said he had a bright idea. He'll buy the camera. Okay, great. Two weeks later, he comes to me and says, um, hey, I got something for you. I said, what's that? Gave me my camera back with the bag and everything. <laughs> and I said, what's this for? He said, no, I want you to use it. I said, do you want the money back? He said, no, I just want you to use the camera. And I took it seriously from that point. That is such a sweet story. Yep. When you think about it. So, I was broke and I was trying to sell that camera. I was like, I forget this camera. I'm not going to see him no money. It was a $2,000 camera. Somebody can come have it. But he gave it back to me and I, I went crazy after that with it. So you're, you started with photography and when, where did you go from there? Oh, yeah. Well, photography, you know, yep. Started with photography, started um, just, of course, shooting at the church and then shooting anything that anybody would stand still long enough to pay me for. <laughs> And ironically, uh, the first real paying job was a funeral. So, like, I literally <laughs> shot a, a I have never heard that. Never heard that. old pastor that passed away. I took photos of his funeral, and literally the next, like, two years later, his wife passed. I took photos of their of her funeral too. The family wanted me to do it again, so I did about four of those in my beginning stage of of being a professional photographer. But you know, I um started realizing put the business side into it outside from I got away from the desperation and what did I want to focus on and I um started focusing on law firms where I lived in Columbia South Carolina it had a big you know University of South Carolina had a huge law school and we had like 400 law firms in a city with 150,000 people so and it wasn't <laughs> anybody yeah it wasn't anybody doing like focusing on shooting law firms so I really targeted that space and um, became a headshot photographer for law firms. And one of the lawyers that I shot happened to be the mayor <laughs> of the city. <laughs> and then my career blew up from there. Um, you know, I started working with the city and that introduced me to local government, started getting certifications with the government. Then I started doing work with um, other local government entities. And then it went to um, state government, county, federal, and it was going from there. The jobs got too big for just be me. They wanted more than just film. I mean, photography, they wanted film. So we reinvested into the company, bought multiple cameras, got a huge 3,000 square foot space, brought in other camera um, operators, and we were off to the races from there. We created J. Holland Media. There you go. Well, I, I, the funny part about this, when you said I hated it. Oh, I hated it. But but when you were in that space of saying, I needed to build something first before I could get to something, use my business mind and do some other things. So what is, this is just such a great story. And I, you could see that intersection of saying there was people who were speaking into you, people who were w willing to step out and help you. And it sounds like you had two pastors. You know, T, T, oh, I, I listened to T.D. Jake, you know, and, and other people supporting you that saying, Jay, there, there's something bigger for you here. 
And then yeah. this pastor giving you a chance and saying, start taking pictures. I've never heard anyone who started their career as a funeral photographer. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you know, I wasn't like classified as that, but literally he was getting buried at the church and they asked the lady at the church, <laughs> do you have this old photographer to take photos? He was like a prominent pastor. Um, he actually wasn't, he was from South Carolina. He was somewhere else, but they wanted to bury him back home. And they called me, it was probably like $250 and I needed every bit of that money. And I took <laughs> I've the never photo. heard of that. I literally looked on YouTube because I didn't I didn't hear it either at that time. I looked on YouTube and I said, how do you do this? And it actually was a thing of how to do it. And I I followed it to the letter. And I, I you know, and I got paid this 250 bucks. And I was the happiest person in the world because I needed every <laughs> bit of it. You know, because I'm working for eight dollars an hour at this point, so any extras was great. Yeah, you know, that's that's um, like a forty-hour work week there, right? That's exactly what it was. See, and so by the time I left the job a year later, I was making about fourteen. But the point was, that's where I was at that time, and you know, I was always a hard worker. Any job I did have, I never was fired from a job. I I, you know, I always put in amazing, amazing work. I always left on great terms. It was just, I knew I was destined for greater. And when I did leave the job, that's where I Won't Star was born because I think that, especially my in-laws and other individuals like, okay, it seemed like you're kind of leveling off right now. Why would you leave the job <laughs> and go full-time and then doing this? But I got tired of arguing with people and trying to explain to people. Um, I just said, I won't starve. And I put it as a hashtag. I started putting it on Instagram and then I made shirts and I just kept saying it. And it was more, to be honest, like a middle finger to everybody. <laughs> but I didn't know I was being, I was inspiring myself. And then I, now I inspired other people. So it was, it's been a roller coaster with that in a good way. You know, it's been almost 10 years that I created that saying. We now own um, the trademark for hashtag I Won't Starve. And now we have I Won't Starve Academy, which is our 501c3 where we help minority business owners and, you know, if they want to be in business, we teach them for free. That it's just, you, you, you've been poured into, and then you're pouring into others. So let's just talk. I don't have an audience that I would say are inner city people who have a choice of drug dealing, but we have people who have choices. You know, we can either do it, the hard way, or we can do it, we'll, we'll say in a, in a different way, a blessed way. What yeah. would you advise people when they're, when they have those hard decisions to make, how to choose a different path than the one that might be an easier path to choose? Like selling drugs you know, could be easier at that moment. We got to stop thinking about the immediate response that we, that, that we do to things like, so like, like you said, it's the easy way that's short term is going to seem good. But what's the long-term ramifications for? See, a lot of times the job, the humiliation of going to the $8 an hour job with somebody who in a city where I was actually a successful drug dealer, I wasn't just like pantering around. I made a lot of money in that city. And then now I come back, I'm older and I'm working for $8 an hour cleaning toilets at a Hampton Inn. Like that's humiliating to certain people. And I, I, I'll tell you real fast, I literally did some photos for a lady while I was doing this job and she didn't know this at first and she act like I hoodwinked her because like two weeks later after I worked with her she took me to Atlanta Georgia did photos with her did all this stuff 
Two weeks later, she came, walked to my hotel while I got my mop in my hand. And she was like flabbergasted that she paid me to come to another city and all this other stuff, knowing because she she knew that that's what I did as a day job. She probably either wouldn't have hired me or she wouldn't have paid me my rate. And it's not because I didn't do the right do the work well. It was because of perception. So it's very, very difficult to say, okay, I'm going to go and take an $8 an hour job, clean toilets. I've ran a major business before and done all these other things. I'm 30 years old. You know, I wasn't young, you know, no more. So I'm supposed to be already doing something. But here I am mopping floors and cleaning toilets. So, but I understood the long-term ramification of me getting back into doing doing things I didn't have no business doing. So we have to stop thinking about what happens immediately. You know, telling somebody the truth, it might be, oh, it hurts you and it's going to hurt them, but it's better off long-term to give them the information that they need to know. Right. And so a lot of times we want the thing that's going to soothe us in the, in, the, in the meantime, not for long-term. And so when those decisions, that's what usually what we're facing. What's, what looks good for me right now as opposed to what looks good for me later on? We have to think past that. So one, one thing they can do is don't make a fast decision. The faster you got to make that decision, a lot of times that's the decision that's not going to be the right decision. So even if you're proposed that you should do this, I'll come in, I'll give you an answer tomorrow or the day after. So you had a chance to sleep on it. You had a chance to think about it. You know, don't make decisions out of desperation. You know, when you're right. in the worst state, that's the worst time to make those decisions. You know, as a kid, did I have to sell drugs? Now I'll tell you, no, I felt like that then. But that car wash would have been just fine. I'll submit to you, my best friend, I brought him into that car wash before I left. He worked the car wash until we were juniors in high school. Then he went to White Castle. I could have worked right alongside him. Right. I didn't want to. I did not want to. I wanted something more, and and I didn't need anything more. I wanted something more, and I could and and I could have got. I got again. I got shot. I went to jail multiple times as a juvenile. I missed my grad my high school graduation because I was in the county jail. You know, once I turned eighteen, like all of these things came from me not staying at that car wash. That that is such great advice because if you're looking at, we have a population now that doesn't want to go to work. I pulled up to um, Culver's. I don't know if you have them in South Carolina. Oh, yeah, Culver's. <laughs> my, yeah, I, I, they're not here where I am now, but yeah, Culver's is amazing. So the, I, And I go by to get a little treat of ice cream, and the line for the drive-thru was really stacked yes. up. So I was driving around, and I was going to go inside, and this young gentleman came out, and he said, ma'am, we only are doing drive-thru. Everybody, we had too many call-outs. And it feels like nobody wants to work anymore. Here's a young kid. He's probably 18 to 24, somewhere in that time, you know, that bracket. Me. And you're thinking of, here's this extra work. So what, what happens if you are doing work? And let's, let's, it could be humiliating. Was there something that humbled you that also helped you? Oh, yeah. I mean, just the felony portion humbled me because still dealing with that years and years after college, you know, I became a felon in 2003. This was 2012. You know, I'm still dealing with it. I haven't been in any trouble. And actually the felony charge was, I caught the felony charge in 2001. So like I haven't done anything illegal since 2001. And I'm still dealing with this. 
that's something. And then again, my, I remember my bringing my son home from the hospital when he was born. And that same night they took my car. They repossessed my car. You know, like as a notice on the door, we're going to get put out of our apartment. Like you got to go to work. And it's, and it doesn't matter. You just going to have to do it and figure it out. And that was the greatest thing that ever happened. If, if you, if you ask me when it came to that, to that, because right. I was able to, I, I learned so much. And then it was a franchise Hampton and franchise. So I'm close to the managers and the owners, the owner's son, who you know, I guess he's an owner as well. I remember us working, I think it was at the end of the year and we were doing something at a storage unit. And he said, um, he saw me take control and start directing traffic, telling all the other people how to do the work and everything. So he said, I want you to ride back with me. I said, okay, fine. He said, you know, how did you get into this, you know, work and everything like that? I told him I went to college. He said, you got a college degree? He said, we got to talk later. <laughs> and literally the next week he put me on the front desk. Because he was like, you shouldn't be cleaning no toilets. But I came in under the radar so they wouldn't turn me down. They don't check the background of a person cleaning the toilet. They check the background of the person who's dealing with the register. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. So whenever I fill out an application for that job, they don't even ask you, do you have a background? <laughs> and, you know, They're happy and, to have you. Exactly. They was happy for me to be there. But, you know, I'll make you laugh. I came in here with a nice suit on to, to, <laughs> to apply for that job. <laughs> well, you know so what that was, shows, though, Jay? That shows respect. Yes. That shows respect for yourself that I know that this is what I have to do right now. And it also respected that position. And yeah. it's, it's, we, we need to show up. We need to show up in such a way that people could say, I'm going to trust this man. I'm going to trust him yeah. even if it is cleaning the toilets. So what, um, so there was that tipping point of, you know, almost being evicted, losing your car, having a felon. So here you had someone else coming into your life too. So th this is, I'm, I'm just trying to keep count of a third person who came in their life and said, I, I want to help you. I see something in you. So there's something that you're showing to people that is inspiring them to trust and believe and support and encourage you. And it sounds like that's what you're trying to do right now with you said your 501c uh, yeah. to help people with that. Tell me just a little bit about how that got started and the type of people that you're helping right now. Oh, wow. So I won't start Academy um, back in about 2017. Um, I had I was working firmly with the government. And, um, you know, John Lane Media was up and running. We were doing big projects. But one thing, they were losing some funding. Um, they were going to lose funding because they weren't meeting their supply diversity quotas, meaning, you know, helping out women and minority-owned businesses to give them contracts. It, it, you know, so a lot of people, a lot of major um, government con um, organizations have 10%, 5%, 15 15% supply diversity quotas. So these are earmarks for women and minority-owned businesses. And they weren't meeting those quotas, not because they didn't want to, but they didn't know how to touch the people. So I had a great relationship with them. So I said, hey, we can, I can bring the people, I can bring the business owners here if you guys are willing to give them the things that you are, you offer. They said, perfect. We made it, I created the I Won't Starve um, experience. It was, the, it was the event we created the first time in September, 2017. 
We brought over 100 business owners in there. And I had the city at the time that I lived in the city of Columbia. I had Midlands Technical College, which was like a local um, school um, for training. And I had a bank, Wood Forest Bank, that was there for the financial aspect as far as helping people out with credit, things of that nature. And they prom I made them promise to give everybody a business, um, business account, no matter what their credit was, make sure they had a business account before they left the program. Um, if they needed training for the school at Midlands Tech, they got discount or free training um, to help them with their business. And then the city had a lot of um, work opportunities and certification for the business owners. And they came, it was a success. And um, to this date, we work with over 600 businesses and, and allowed them to be able to get the certification. Once I started getting a lot of money from organizations because it started with those three, then it went to state organizations, county organizations, and a whole bunch of other ones, it became more important for it to become a 501c3 and for people to be able to continue to contribute to us to help out these minority contractors. So that's when we switched it over to a 501c3. And we started adding more events like the Self-Employment Summit because everybody don't want, don't and shouldn't be an entrepreneur, but some people want to do their own thing, like be a truck driver, you know, um, be a hairdresser, be a plumber, right. things of that nature. We've partnered with those um, educational individuals to come on and give them an opportunity, give them the education, also discounts, and just some, some partnership to get them into that space and get them off the right, on the right path to um, work for themselves. And uh, we created the perfect partnership as well, which is um, an event we do to bring contractors to the um, government entities and teach them how big it can be for them to have these um, partnerships with the government. So I want to ask you a question. Did you see this as an opportunity or did you see this as like, th this is, I, I need to step in and do this. Why did you feel like you were the one who was going to solve this problem? Because it is, if you're saying that you have to meet these quotas, but there's not people on the other side who can come step in and do that work. Yeah, this was the God okay. moment for me because once I started working with the city, I met a guy named Angelo McBride. And he said to me, so are you certified to do business with the city, or, um, with the government? I said, no, what's that? I didn't have a clue. Um, they wanted me to just take photos of their office because I did some work with the mayor at the time. Okay, fine. I'll, I'll bite. What certification? What do I need to do? Great. I, I went ahead, figured out, got, you know, did whatever I need to do, did all the paperwork, did that. And once I did it, he started giving me work. And we made a relationship. This is the end of 2015. So by 2017, I have an amazing relationship with them. And this was the office that was dealing with that. And he was responsible for making sure these people, they have classes that you was trying, it was like $800 for these classes and that he couldn't get people in the, in the door to these classes so that they can be certified, so they can get their stuff together, so they can do business. I can help you do that. I'm here. This is something he confided in me with. I have that opportunity because I'm I know how to touch the people. I'm out there. And at that point, they were parading me around as like the, uh, you know, the token minority business owner that was making money with this with the city and the counties and things that way, which I didn't have no problem with. But I saw an opportunity in that space. But again, this was someone else helping me and right. saying, hey, I believe in you. And I said, all right, let me go ahead and make sure I'm not gonna make a liar out of them. And so we were able to, and that's something I teach, like how can you solve problems? Even the government has problems that need to be solved, you know? Right. And so as an entrepreneur, how do you solve problems? That bank, I've gotten money from that bank, free money, not loan money, because I solve problems. 
if you can put, if I put a hundred people in, how many people can say that you got in one afternoon in four hour time frame, you got a hundred plus people to sign up for a business account. Right. You know, a lot of people can't say that. So I, I was valuable to that bank. So they said, whatever you're doing, we want to be a part of it, you know? And so it just kept going. And that was the first business that I start, I had to start without having to bootstrap, having money in the bank account, doing everything at a high level because everything else was, I just had to figure it out. So I said, that's when, I, that's why I really believe that was the God moment. Everything came to pass. I started speaking like a year before, you know, a friend of mine left South Carolina, moved to Atlanta. He asked me to come and speak. He had a non, he has a nonprofit and he was doing some things at, at um, Georgia State University. He, he believed in my story. I spoke. It all worked out at the same time. So it was like, okay, I get a chance to speak, motivate, inspire these people. I gave other right. speakers a shot at the same time. Once they got the inspiration and motivation from us, they were able to go that day right then and there and get some products and services from the government that they can actually use real time. So you were a good in-between. You were a go-between. They, they had... <laughs> you're, you're bringing in the people because they need the people. And then there's solutions and it is so hard to find the solutions so why yep. did you decide that this is what you were supposed to be doing with your life well once i did it i um i i was sold i was sold. it was never <laughs> like i saw saw that coming that's why i said it was a god thing i always give god credit for things that i have not no clue of because if it was <laughs> if i have a clue of it then it wasn't him you know if it right. was me then it was him so I didn't see that coming. I didn't know anything about government, especially when I tell people now, because that's one of the things as a consultant, I help people with government contracts. They say, what did you do with the government? Well, I'm a photographer. And they say, wow. And I haven't taken photos <laughs> since the pandemic, literally. But I said, um, this is, I tell them, the government pays a half a billion dollars to photographers a year. Wow. Hard you know, on so taxpayer money. <laughs> You understand what I'm saying? So you talking about yeah. people using drone work and all that stuff. That's all falling at that same thing. So you, they're right. about to do some construction work on a major place. Somebody's taking photos of that, whether it's drones, whether anything. You know, so we, we're we doing this type of work that people don't know. And so they're like, wow. But the same rules apply for somebody that's in construction and cleaning and IT or anything else, the same rules apply. You still got to get your certifications. You still got to be prepared, know how to navigate the space. And I did it for years now. And so now I do it as a consultant, but I work both sides because I'm working with the, the government entity to help navigate the space with contractors because right. that's, a, that's a whole big deal. And then I'm also helping contractors navigate, navigate the space with the government entities. So it worked out for me. And um, it, it was unique to my skill set, and it, it worked out. I don't, I don't know if it's a skill set because this seems like you have been divinely gifted to really, with a business mind, seeing problems, seeing solutions, and you're speaking on it. You know that you're able to show people there is a different way. So I hope that your message reaches out to as many young kids as possible because there is there is another way and we keep on being sold there's one way right there's there's one path and this is how you need to go to if you go to college that's that's the way to go 
And college was part of your story, but it really, you the college wasn't helping you get over the other hurdle that you've had, and that was the felony. Entrepreneurship was the answer to getting you, you and your family taken care of. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny because, again, like I said, I was actually good at what I did illegally. I mean, I had a restaurant in 19, um, but nobody saw that that was like the entrepreneurial spirit. It was just right. like, oh, why you have a restaurant? You should have a job, you know? <laughs> so now when I become a felon, <laughs> they're still telling me to go get a job. And I'm applying for these jobs and people say, okay, yeah, you can work. But then when my background come back, oh, I'm sorry. You said you can come here, but now you can't. And I'm like, okay, well, I was already on the right mm -hmm. path doing my own thing anyway. You know, there's an energy and an enthusiasm that you have and you're getting results because you're doing something you're, you feel called, like God put his hand on you. And it's very different. And it's so funny that people keep on telling you to get jobs. And then when saying, go work for yourself, go find a problem, go be a solution. So I love this message that you have, Jay. I really do. Yeah. And the funny thing is, I, I like jobs, you know, for not for everybody. I, and we don't have a one, one size fit all situation. Right, you know, I tell people all the time, like, I think we approach jobs the wrong way, mm -hmm. you know. You, uh, we got, first thing is always money. Throw that out. You're going to a job that you can learn and you can be trained. And, and that's two different things. So you're going to learn how to do what it, it, what you're doing, but then you're also being trained on how to navigate that space. So pick the job that you really want to do. So if you want to be an engineer, fine. Go through an engineering company, get all the certifications, learn how to navigate the space, learn how the business is done. And as you're growing, the money's coming. So don't, don't talk about the money. A lot of times we're going for the money and now there's no growth. You got to see where growth is in that space because as long as you keep getting promotions or growth, you're going to get a, a, a bump. But I, I'm, I tell you all the certifications, I paid out of pocket for these things. Jobs pay for your certification. When you get hired, they give you all the information that an entrepreneur got to kill to get. Right. You know, you start working for a major corporate, like for Google. You always see all these Google individuals that, oh, I used to work for Google. Now they're like rich because, not because Google paid them that much, but they learned everything from working from Google. Then they come home and do it for themselves. And now they're, they're millionaires. So like when you get to that job, if you do it right and you get to the job that you actually want and you have to decide what you want to be in your life. Like if you want to be a barber and you go work at a barbershop, you're going to learn exactly how to run a barbershop. But if you are another barber and coming in, hey, man, tell me how to run the barbershop or tell me how to run the salon, they'll never tell you. But if you're working in that place for two years, you'll learn everything. They'll probably even pay for you to get some extra stuff or do everything. Now you can actually go out there. But we always are going under, under survival tactic. Like, and entrepreneurship is not the place where you want to, like, go and learn from nothing because you can, people are dying literally to be entrepreneurs. Like they're using drugs. They're killing themselves. They're miserable because they they don't, that they won't take the time to learn or get the job. Or as I call hustle while you work, work the job, start your business on the side. You don't have to worry about paying bills from your business. You can reinvest your money in your business. You can bring other people in. You can really know what you need to do first, then step out, you know, I didn't have that resource. 
So I went through every pothole, every pitfall, every cliff. I drove right off of him. I know it's God because I'm still here. So <laughs> at the end of the day, I my, my job, I've taken on myself, my job to make sure that individuals don't go through those pitfalls, don't drive off those cliffs, and they know every single thing that I didn't know at that time so they don't have to go through those pitfalls because it's tough. So it sounds like you're giving back to other people what, what people poured into you. They believed in you. They invested in you. They prayed for you. They whatever they were doing things for you. And then they, they set you up so that you can really just speak into other people's lives. And it's a very, very powerful message. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Anything else you want to say? No, just I appreciate this conversation. And I, um, definitely amazing conversation. And I never knew I would have fun talking to someone from Camden. But <laughs> There are people who want someone to believe in them, that they yes. want someone to say, uh, this is not a life sentence, you know, because you can change your story. You changed it. I'm not a felon, right? No, no. And I have been pardoned. Um, in 2021, I actually received my full pardon in 2021, after 18 years of um, being a felon. So I would see the full pardon. I literally on the date, <laughs> June 4th, 2021. Well, 2003 to June 4th, 2021. So yeah. July 4th would have been a better date, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> they wouldn't have been open, so they couldn't give it to me. <laughs> yeah, but when you you just see that, that they, the independence, you, ha you had to fight for your own freedom to be, Definitely. you know, get through that. But you're doing it. And when I'm talking to you, I see a sense of joy. I see a sense of purpose. I see a sense of passion that like you're you're doing something worthwhile and worthy. And would you really have been able to be as effective if you didn't go through what you went through? Just a question. Totally agree. Totally yeah. agree. Sometimes we, we're not sure you. why the story is part of us. And then when we're looking at, I, I love the my favorite Bible crisis, uh, all things work together for good for those who love God or fall according to his purpose. Mm -hmm. And you definitely have a calling on your life, Jay. Mm -hmm. You really do. I can see Thank that. You. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you so much for pulling into the Hope Station. Wasn't that a great episode? My hope is that this episode brought you hope. Do you want to be a hope giver? I hope so. And how you can do that is to share this podcast, post the episode on social media, write a review or rate the podcast. This helps engagement and boost the podcast out to other listeners in need of hope. So thank you. Thank you for participating. Thank you for helping. Thank you for being a valued listener. And my hope is that you have a great week.